Hello, you are listening to Salty Saints Podcast. I'm Zach, and I'm here with Randy. What's up, Randy? I'm doing well, Zach. Excellent. Uh, today, we're kind of we're going to dive into something we've been talking about doing. Uh, if you've been hanging with us, these last few uh, episodes have all been about talking through kind of the fundamentals of the Apostles' Creed, um, at least the main points, who, really the character of God, who is God, what is the church. Um, that, that's pretty well it. Kind of basic theology, Theology 101. Right. Um, reason being is because if this is a podcast about, uh, you know, living out your faith, about apologetics, which is being able to make a defense for your faith, then it's kind of necessary that we have a basic uh, foundation upon which to build. And so we thought that that was uh, important to to go through and just discuss what what we believe, why we believe it, and uh, give you some backing information for that sort of thing. And so today, I thought maybe it'd be cool to just talk about our lives a little bit, uh, mine and Randy's experience with talking to people about our faith, with talking to people of other faiths and just, uh, or no faith and what that looks like. And so, um, I, I, I don't know. We're just, we're just going to kind of, you know, see what happens here, see what fun stories we can come up with and maybe not so fun stories, but hopefully we can pull some, some important information out of those experiences. Um, did any, did any important kind of experiences that you've had in your life stick out to you as far as, um, witnessing? I, yeah, I wouldn't say important experiences. Um, just kind of my own, uh, personal reality. Uh, uh, people have gifts, people have, uh, 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 tendencies that the Lord gives them evangelism is not in my top gifts. Uh, I'm, right. I'm a teacher. I'm a shepherd. Uh, evangelism, I think, is number five out of five. Nevertheless, Paul says, do the work of an evangelist. And, you know, we're told to share our faith. So over the years, I've done it. Uh, I would say that for me, it's not easy to do. I have to be intentional about do it. But over the years... I have been intentional, and yeah, there's some experiences there that, uh, yeah, I think I can share. Okay. Um, any right off the top? Uh, just the way things change. Um, I can remember when I was in uh, Toronto, Canada, um, uh, I was uh, in my 30s, I think, then lived there for... Four and a half years, um, and uh, was involved in a church, led a youth group, and uh, was involved in some evangelistic Bible studies. The area that we lived in was highly ethnic. In fact, the church that we attended, only about 25% of the people were uh, sort of your traditional Canadians, born and bred in, in, in Canada. Uh, we had a lot from Singapore. We had a lot of Asian students that went to an area by university, uh, Jamaicans, Trinidadians. And as a result, a lot of times in the Bible studies that we'd have, we'd have people of other religions. 
All of that just to say this. I can remember uh, talking to a, a man, a, a fellow a little bit younger than me, identified himself as a Muslim. And he said, my basic problem with Christianity is that it is warlike. Islam is a peaceful religion. You don't get Muslims saying that anymore just because of the way things have gone. But this was pre-9-11. This was in the uh, the mid-80s. And their perception was that Islam was all about peace and harmony and and uniting people, whereas Christianity was the uh, father of the Crusades. Right. Yeah. I hear a lot of people kind of relate things back to the Crusades. And yeah. I think that, you know, the majority of us these days uh, are pretty quick to to not support that movement. <laughs> the interesting thing, yeah, you know, it's, about not not only about um, being able to defend your faith, but understanding a little bit of church history. The Crusades, by and large, although it was supported by the church, it was a political movement. Yeah. It was it was uh, it it was born out of kings, not out of Christianity. In fact, uh, Francis of Assisi. At roughly the same time the Crusades were going on, I believe uh, Francis of Assisi actually traveled to Africa to sit down and talk with uh, Muslim Muslim leaders and do what he could to evangelize them. Hmm. That's interesting. And it was it was absolutely and totally peaceful. He didn't make any headway, and he didn't curse them or it's like a stark contrast between yeah, the two right yeah yeah to say that even at that time not all of the church was all about let's grab a sword and go right uh, defeat palestine a uh, large part of the church part of the church that still exists today you still have franciscans today um it was about yeah i want to evangelize but I do that by dialogue. I do that by asking questions and listening to you and valuing your opinion. Right. Right. Treating somebody as an equal. Yeah. Um Yeah. I I've had I've had a lot of conversations about faith with people and <laughs> at varying degrees of my faith, you know, uh like I I've always talked about Jesus to people, but I, I look back at like ten years ago doing that, and I, I was an idiot, and I was not a <laughs> an example, you know, of of somebody who who really did look like what they believed, and I, I still don't exactly feel like I've always looked that way. But um, did you find that you were more dogmatic then, more likely to tell people what they ought to believe, and less oh, yeah. likely to listen? Oh yeah, oh yeah. My, very much so. I found uh, the same thing. I have to fight that urge still. Um, mm. If if somebody uh, really is pressing hard on me, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess for a long time I was really really snippy, and uh, <laughs> that's something I've had to like overcome as I as I kind of grew. But I I guess it, it's weird because back then I would say. 
I was a whole lot more, I don't want to say dogmatic because my view on Christianity was almost graceful to a fault. Like that it was almost more of a license to sin kind of thing, you know? Mm. Um, But then I expected other people that they needed to believe the way I believe. So it was like, I was an absolute hypocrite in a lot of ways, you know, but now I guess I'm more, uh, I don't want to say legalistic, but definitely more legalistic than I used to be that now I'm like, yeah, it's all about grace, but that doesn't mean we can just go doing whatever we want. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Um, but I do find that it's a lot easier for me now to sit and listen to somebody. I work with a lot of Muslims. Um, I, I work in a barbershop owned by a Muslim man. And honestly, the, uh, two, the two guys in there that are Muslims, like two of the best guys I know, like they're great. They'd help me out in any way they could, but we do not see things the same, but because we're friends, we can sit down and talk about stuff and nobody gets upset. You know what I mean? Um, so that's, that's helpful. Uh, the other thing is, since it is a Muslim-owned barbershop, a lot of Muslims come into the barbershop, and that's where a lot of my interesting okay. conversations happen. Um, I've learned a lot about Islam through talking to those guys. Um, a lot of things that I once believed to be true, I don't necessarily think these days. Um, in fact, I look at Muslims a lot like I look at Jews now. Um, uh-huh. They're very similar in the way they look at the world. Yeah, I think you're right. And uh, and while I would think that they're both wrong, <laughs> I don't necessarily – I don't think they're they're like evil either. You know what I mean? Like right, yeah. They're just wrong, you know? You've, you've brought up something that I think merits a little bit of attention here, and that is that by working in a barbershop, uh, you are brought into contact with people on a regular basis. Sure who don't know the Lord. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of Christians struggle with. Uh, we become a Christian. Our friendships change. Uh, we tend to center our life around the church or church-like activities. And they say that within a matter of six months, you cut yourself off from the world that you used to know. And all your friends are now Christian. Well, If all of your friends are Christian, who do you witness to? Right. One of the things that you notice that Jesus did is he is constantly going out and eating with people. And the Pharisees are just dumbfounded that he's eating with publicans and sinners. He's eating with the wrong crowd. But for Jesus, it's the right crowd. It's the crowd that needs him. And I think as Christians, we've got to develop that habit, that pattern of life too, not cutting ourselves off from the world that's around us, whether that's through neighbors or through work colleagues or just going and hanging out like a normal person does, getting to meet people and building friendships. Right. Um, I would say the barbershop's a really great way, The just working a secular job. Um, and, and one where I get to really talk to people. That's That's been a big one. And then playing in a band, a non-Christian <laughs> band. <laughs> yep. I mean, I'm a Christian. I, I, a lot of the guys aren't, or a couple of them aren't. Um, but 
Um, it's it's interesting though the crowds you get to talk to in that too. Um, I get to meet a little more, uh, you know, playing in bars and stuff. Some some of those people are kind of rough around the edges and or or they are a little more standoffish about uh, religion and stuff. And I usually don't just come right out and. Oh yeah, I work at a church. You know, I, I don't do that right, right. Um, with with a lot of people, but um, it'll come up in conversation. You know, and uh, I know I've brought this up before, but like the weirdest experience I think I had, like playing in a bar, was talking uh, with a guy in between sets, and uh, he said, "Well, what do you do?" I said, oh, "You know, I cut hair. I work at a church." He's like, "Oh, well, you probably wouldn't want to talk to somebody like me then." And I said, "Well, why is that?" And he said, well, I worship uh, the Nordic gods. And I was like, oh, okay. And he was like, well, what do you mean, okay? I was like, I, okay. Like, yeah. It, I don't know why I would want to not talk to you. Like, I don't. And he's like, well, do you, you, you probably don't believe in that stuff. I was like, well, I, I believe you worship something. I said, I don't think they're gods. I don't think they're gods like you think they're gods. You know, I, I think they're something. But they're not. That's how I look at it, you know, and, and we had a really good conversation yeah. based on that. Um, I think he probably still is doing what he's doing uh, <laughs> or was doing just uh, from what I've seen uh, on social media and whatnot or, you know, talking to him uh, since. But And yet you planted a seed. And honestly, though, I feel like the majority of the conversations I have, that's all I do. You know what? Uh, I remember reading a book. It was a book on evangelism, and it said that typically uh, when you talk to a person about the Lord, if it's the first time they've ever heard, you know, it's the best you can hope for is that they don't go run screaming from the room. The book said that it takes an average of 25 touches before a person is willing to consider the gospel as a viable choice. Hmm. That's interesting. 25 seeds are... Plant a seed and water it and water it and water it and, (laughs) you know, weed it and and come back 25 times. And then the person is willing to say, okay, tell me more. Well, I think that's kind of the importance of actually changing your life, too. Like changing and, and trying to be who Christ tells us to be is because those people are going to see whether or not you're doing that. You got to walk the talk. Right. And I know none of us do it perfectly, but if we can just be different than the world somehow, that is going to speak volumes. And I don't even think we have to do it perfectly. If we're perfect, we set ourselves apart from everybody else. If we mess up and recognize that we mess up, I mean, even going to a person saying, hey, you know what? Shouted at you the other day. I should not have done that. I'm sorry. Um, Normal people don't do that. Right. They just walk away from it. Right, right, right. So even by going back and recognizing that, yeah, you messed up, that even that can be a witness, can be a a testimony of God's changing me. I'm not there yet, but I'm in process. Okay, so I want to I want to kind of this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but it's connected to what you just said. Um, so something I was thinking about the other day is 
I wonder if, like, okay, so me as a Christian, um, I still feel like I blend into culture here in America in a lot of ways. There are some things that I am staunchly opposed to, beliefs that I do not align with that it seems like are becoming more and more okay, right? Um, but as a whole, being polite, being kind, saying I'm sorry, doing things like that, um, just being, a, a, you know, what a lot of people would just say, oh, just being a good person, right? Um, I wonder if some of that is influenced because we've had Christianity so ingrained into our culture for so long that some of that has just kind of become a norm in people's lives, like just the tenets of being a good person or, uh, you know, in quotations, a good person, you know. Um, but are there places in the world where we would stand out more by just doing those things than in America because they're so used to seeing it here. Yeah. Does that make sense? There are. I mean, I've lived overseas and talked to people about, about what it means to be American, what it means to be Colombian. And I've heard people say something like that. Americans are just different. Hmm. Now, (laughs) I've heard the flip side of that, too. People going to Latin America saying, oh, Colombians are just different. Right. In a positive way. You know, they're so friendly and and welcoming and Americans aren't like that. And Colombians will say, well, Americans, you know, they're men and women of their word. They tell you they're going to do something and they do it. Or they say they're not going to do something and they don't do it. You can count on them. And so every culture kind of has its own positive things and negative things maybe sure um okay that's i i don't know i've just wondered about that both of those cultures are heavily influenced by god though right so you know you you would like to think that you are seeing uh god's grace in those cultures right when you see good things like that i guess my question question is like what would a culture look like with no knowledge of God, and then a person who's grown up in a culture that was very influenced by Christianity um, walking into that other culture. That I guess that's what I'm saying. Because Colombia, that's kind of a hard comparison because they also are influenced right, by Christianity. Right. But yeah, no, I see what you're saying. Like, I, I don't know. I, I guess that's something – I don't have an answer to that. So, yeah, I mean – that's hard. It, it, it's it's also uh, the chicken and the egg thing. Uh, is what you're looking at a negative trait in a particular culture? Is that a result of them not being a Christian culture? Or are we reading our Christianity into what we see in their culture? Uh, I, you know, I think of the honor killings in uh, some Islamic countries where uh, – uh, because the family has been shamed, they can kill a child. Uh, not just Islamic, Indian culture, uh, same way. I can still remember uh, being at a, uh, it was the inauguration, uh, the beginning of uh, school year, and they had like an eight-hour meeting where they sat down and they, talked about what's coming up, sort of eight hours of announcements. 
But they announced uh, students who weren't coming back, and uh, they announced this one kid, identify him by name, said uh, he died during the break of jaundice. I thought, whoa, jaundice. I thought that was when babies turned yellow when they were born. About a half hour later, in another context, they announced another student. Oh, and he won't be back because he died uh, during the break of jaundice. So I leaned over to the missionary who was sitting by me. I said, what in the world are they talking about? You don't die from jaundice. He said, these two were brothers. They come from a high Brahmin family, and their father poisoned them both rather than have them come back to Bible school and learn to be a pastor. So they died of jaundice. They were poisoned. Honor killings, you know. So is that because it's not a Christian culture? Or are we reading our own Christianity into what they're doing in a culture? But, yeah, my mind went to honor killings and uh, things of that sort. Man. Man, oh, man. So... When you think back on um, any any encounters, any any, any any I can't talk any evangelical encounters you've had, um, did you ever see results from any of those? Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, especially when I did one of two things, um, when I used the gifts that God has given me, I could see results. Now, God's given me the gift of teaching. So what I would do a lot were evangelistic Bible studies. And uh, people would get together. Now, I was able to do that in Columbia because I could talk about the Bible. I could talk about Jesus. Everybody wanted to know more about Jesus. Everybody believed the Bible even though they never read it. So being able to say, hey, for for an hour we're going to get together in this guy's house uh, we'll have coffee, we'll have some, some snacks, and then we'll talk about the Bible, talk about Jesus. And I would always use the book of Mark. Working my way through the book of Mark, it is a clear uh, gospel presentation. First eight chapters of the book of Mark deal with who is Jesus. Last eight chapters deal with what's he like. And by the time you get to the end, you know, you, you know either I line up with him or I walk away from him, and a lot of people would line up with him. So uh, that was one way. The other way is something that I, I've kind of come to understand over the last 10 years or so, starting about 10 years ago. I began to become interested in um, cultural values discovered three value systems that exist in cultures. One is the good and evil or right and wrong value system. One is the honor and shame value system. And then one is the power weakness value system. And sort of my approach to evangelism uh, Learning about that and studying that both from an anthropological point of view and from a scriptural point of view, I was amazed 
at how much the Bible talks about honor and shame Mm -hmm. and power and weakness. I thought salvation, the Bible, the cross was all about right and wrong, good and evil. And it is, but it doesn't exclude honor and shame. So Jesus died for our sins on the cross, and he wants to make us pure, and he wants us to live right. Jesus also died for our shame on the cross. And he wants to honor us by bringing us into his family. And Jesus died for our weakness on the cross. And he wants to empower us by giving us the Holy Spirit. So one of the things that I've developed over the last 10 years, I I, I call it evangelism by story. I listen to your story and I let you tell your story as long as you want to talk. I'll tell you my story, but I got my story down to three minutes. And then if we're going to focus on anything, we're going to focus on his story. But what I listen for when I'm listening to your story is I'm listening for which cultural value is important to you. Living in North America, it's still true that most people find um, right and wrong to be the main cultural value that they live their life by. Right and wrong in the sense that they feel guilty for doing the wrong things and uh, they don't want to feel guilty anymore. So in that case, I'll share my story about how I also felt guilty, but I was forgiven. And uh, here's how Jesus forgave me and I'll go into the cross and even some of what Paul says, some of what Jesus himself says. And and by asking the question, uh, what about your guilt? Would you like to be forgiven of your guilt? If the person indicates uh, honor and shame, you know, I was just so embarrassed. I was just mortified. I, I, I do find that a lot of people who have been subjected to abuse. It's not about right and wrong. They tend to think that they've done something wrong, but what motivates them, what guides them is the shame that they feel. And it's great to be able to talk to them and say, well, you know, Jesus died for that shame. Uh, You don't have to have that shame. You didn't do anything to deserve that shame. I understand that you feel it. You can't just deny it and say, well, I'm not supposed to feel that shame because you feel it. So instead, recognize that Jesus wants to make you part of his family. And he wants to honor you. And still other people, um, fewer. I really haven't found anybody living on the fear or the or the, the power weakness uh, uh, scale. But I know they're out there. and yeah. I, would, I would say that's a lot of people that like maybe from backgrounds of abuse or uh, yeah. yeah yeah they've been they've been they've had that power stripped away from them right right 
Right. I was thinking about that too. You could almost make that same argument for people who have been under the weight of their uh, guilt that they might feel powerless to. Uh, they feel to, powerless to change. That's right, for sure. Right. Um, maybe addicts or, you know, I, I don't know. Um, so ap- apologetics. The, I understand it's different for every scenario, kind of like what you were just talking through. Um, but I, I find uh, – like if you get online and you watch different people use apologetics – it seems like they always come from a um, logical, scientific kind of background, talking about um, a lot of engineers. Yeah, 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 but but I don't know that that reaches everybody because not everybody thinks that way. Um, I think that's what we tend to think of when we think of apologetics. You know, it's it's getting the right message, it's getting the right defense, and. I tend to think apologetics works better when it's a dialogue. Yeah. You've mentioned a fellow that films himself having conversations. There's several great ones. Uh, There's uh, Jeff Durbin from Apologia does a great job. Uh, James White is also at Apologia. He's a great uh, apologist. He has Alpha and Omega Ministry or Studios. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole material called Alpha and Omega just... It's great. It's really good. Um, but he he does apologetics. He does a lot of debates, like formal debates with people. Both of them kind of work as a team. Um, there's a guy named Preston. What is his channel? Uh, let's see here. Let's see if I can pull that up while I'm thinking about it. Um, but Preston, it used to be called like Bold. Um, sorry, give me a second here. If my space bar will work. <laughs> Apparently my space bar does not work anymore. Oh, that's interesting. That's really fun, isn't it? There he is. Uh, Apologetics with Preston Perry. He changed the uh, the name of his channel. He does a really great job. He does a lot of like uh, urban environments. Um, he's, he's pretty cool. Uh, who else does some apologetics? Uh, oh, uh, Ray, uh, Ray from Living Water, is that what it's called? Ray, uh, Living Waters, yeah, Living Waters, uh, that's another great one. He, he just kind of, uh, he has this one method I really like, he approaches people and, He'll just ride up to him on the street, and he brings his little dog with him, and he his dog wears sunglasses, so it's just kind of a goofy <laughs> spectacle, and I'm sure that's why a lot of people even let him talk to them in the first place. But uh, I think he's Australian, and he'll start asking questions. You know, do you know anything about the gospel? And and they'll say, you know, yes or no. And uh, then he'll generally ask them if they think that they're a sinner. And uh, a lot of them say no. Which is what I think is really interesting because, like, I've just been raised to know that I'm a sinner, right, you know? Right, right. And uh, he'll, he'll say things like, well, you know, the Bible, God chalks up sin to several things. And he'll say, you know, have you ever, have you ever looked at a woman lustfully? 
And they'll say, well, yeah, you know, and they'll say, okay, well, God says that you've committed adultery in your heart. And you know what we call somebody who, who <laughs> commits adultery? And they'll say, an adulterer. And he's like, that's right. Okay. And I'll say, have you ever, you ever taken something and not given it back? Uh, well, yeah. Okay, so you've stolen. What do we call people who steal? Well, a thief. And he'll get them to go through the list, and they'll be like, okay, so what you've told me is you're a lying, thieving, adulterous. Like, he'll go down the line <laughs> and name them all. And he'll say, and the thing is, if you do just one of those things, you're sentenced to death because that, that can't exist in the presence of God. But God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to go take care of that debt for you because he's a judge, and you don't have to pay that debt because he paid it for you. And, like, he just lays it out so concisely and, like, it's palatable, and he's very loving in the way he does it, and he's just this nice guy, and I think he kills it every single time. He's so good at it. That's great. But uh, See, that's the kind of thing that I just can't do. I can't either, <laughs> and I think that's why I like it so much. Like I, I'm sure I could, but I have no – I have never walked up to a person and just done that. Never. Yeah. Never. I, I, that is not how I do it. Maybe that's the problem, though. Maybe I should try it. I don't know that. I don't know, man. Oh my gosh, that that make me so scared. I've I've done that. <laughs> I've done that. I was scared to death, but I've done that. Walked up to people, just start a conversation, and uh, I've never seen any fruit from it. Yeah, the fruit for me comes when I enter into a dialogue with somebody. Just just talk to them. Right. That's that's more comfortable for me. I like. I think it's more comfortable for them, too. I think so. I think you're right. Because, honestly, I I think that's what's always bothered me. Like, I know that there's power in the gospel. I know that just hearing the gospel, that can affect some people. But I think there's a lot of people, too, that just if they don't know you, they're not going to want to hear your message. Right. They think you're just talking at them, that you don't really care about them, that you're just, like, trying to— meet your heaven quota or whatever, you know, right, <laughs> like, you right. know, I don't know. That's how it's always seemed to me uh, a little bit when I see people just walking up to people and evangelizing, whatever, like when, when Jehovah's witnesses approach me, I don't feel like they care about me. I feel like they're just doing their thing, you know, or Mormons just doing their thing. So give it, handing out their tracts, you know, and mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, do you know of any like great apologists or people that just make a good case for Christianity? Yeah, the ones that I that I know of are a little bit older. You know, people like Josh McDowell and Ravi Zacharias and uh, 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 people like that. Even even going all the way back to C.S. Lewis, I would consider him an apologist. Uh, Francis Schaeffer and uh most of those guys uh they they've uh, committed what they teach to writing and i've read instead of listening uh, to them we're in a different age today where we have youtube and podcasts right. and right. Uh, we can listen instead of read or in addition to reading and i and just sorry for for the sake of where we're at in the world right now like i I think it we got to mention the Ravi Zacharias thing that like we don't support any of that business. We what, don't support yeah. anything that man has done uh recently. But or what's come out recently that he right. has done historically. It, exactly. <laughs> the the problem though that I'm wrestling with is while I hate everything he has done uh to these women and to families of these women uh and to the people that put their faith in this guy um, 
that doesn't nullify a lot of the truth that he's spoken either. You know, it's hard and, and for me. Just if if you don't know, Robbie Zacharias was a very popular apologist speaker. Uh, oh, probably from the eighties through about twenty ten. He died not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Cancer. And since dying, uh, now it's come out that during his ministry, all during the 80s, 90s, 2000s, he abused, uh, he, he, uh, 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 he, he was a sexual predator oh, yeah. with, with uh, more than one uh, woman. Uh, just horrible things have come out. It appears that they're true. They're not uh, it's, it's baseless true. accusations. I mean, his, uh, his own brand is rejecting him now. I mean, like okay. his, his ministry he created is like getting rid of a lot of what he's done uh, as far as like books go and things. They're not selling them anymore. They're kind of, they're kind of canceling their own guy yeah. um, with reason. Well, yeah, and yeah. that's the thing. So what he said, his, his teaching, really solid. His life, no, not at all. Right. He he is right up there with Jephthah and Samson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I don't know that <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's not it's not good, guys. It's not no. good. Um Nabil, Nabil Qureshi, he worked for uh RZIM, which was the Zacharias company as well. Nabil has got some great stuff. Um, he's worth looking into. He also died of, of uh, he had stomach cancer uh, several years ago, okay. but he was a Muslim convert, okay. and uh, he's he's solid, really good stuff. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I guess the big thing here, my my big point that I guess I'm trying to sell is like just talk to people that don't think like you, and don't be afraid to talk to people that don't think like you. And don't be afraid to make friends with people that don't think like you. But do it with a heart that you want to you want to love those people. You want to point them to truth and life and Jesus. Um, it's really easy to fall in. Don't don't let other people's beliefs drag you into lies, into. Um, systems of behaviors that don't align with the Christian walk. So Zach, let me ask you this. Let's say uh, I'm sitting down, I'm talking to somebody and we're just, we're just, uh, we're sharing a cup of coffee, a donut or, or, or a muffin. And we're talking and things uh, come to religion, to spiritual conversations. They say something that I don't agree with. How should I respond? I think it's okay to be up front and say you don't agree. Um, but it doesn't have to be hateful. It does, you don't have to take offense to the fact that they don't think like you. Just say, oh, well, I don't think so. And then that will generally prompt them to say, well, why don't you think so? And then you can give your peace of mind. Okay. And and nobody has to be upset, you know. And you got to do it with grace, though. Too. That's the other thing I've noticed. Like, like I was talking with one of my coworkers in the barber shop about uh, I don't know about a, a current 
dating situation of his that I was I was just asking different questions and he he was telling me what was going on and I and I was just hearing some stuff where I was like that just doesn't seem like that's going to end well you know and so like I kind of put my christian filter on there you know yeah. and and I said can I give you my two cents I said tell me to shut up if you hate it I said but can I give you my two cents and so I laid it out there and while I I think in the end we all disagreed um they heard me and you were civil and we were civil and yeah i mean we're going we're hanging out this weekend like it's not like it's not uh there's no ill will there's no bad blood we're friends uh but you know we uh, he heard he heard what i had to say and knows i care about him you know so same scenario i'm talking to somebody we're just having a conversation things turn spiritual and now they say something directly attacking Christianity. How should I respond? Don't get offended. <laughs> that's, I think that's like the big, the big thing you have to always maintain is your composure. Like, you, there are times to be angry. That doesn't seem like one. If you pay attention to how Jesus responded to individuals, it was always with grace and it was always with kindness. But when it came to, it came to institutions, that's when Jesus would get aggressive. When when Jesus expressed his anger, it was typically against other religious leaders, not against but, the average ordinary person. But even then, it wasn't even like religious leaders singular. It was religious leaders as groups. Like when he met with Nicodemus— it was all in good kindness, yeah. you know. Yeah. It was they were they were equals in that moment, um, and so I guess I hear a lot of things about Christianity that just aren't true, and right. I I think my big takeaway there is to try and point them to truth. And generally, what I find is when somebody's already made up their mind on something like that, they're going to stick to their guns in that moment. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times, I can defuse. I can say, oh, that's not true. And then be like, well, this is what really happened. And then you just lay it out there. And a lot of times they've never heard that side. They've only heard the myth. They've only heard this other way, you know. And so they don't even know what to say when you meet them with the truth a lot of the time. Um, Just try and redirect the the conversation back to the truth and do it in kindness. Don't do it in anger. Um, I used to. I still kind of do. I get really anxious. Um when I start getting in deep debate with somebody that doesn't think like me, mm-hmm. I start getting kind of like just like waiting for my next moment when I can like say the next <laughs> thing. You know, like I get a, a little fidgety, and I'm, that's another thing I'm currently trying to figure out how to not do. But you stop listening and you start telling. I yeah, and so <laughs> I I really have to like I have to be. I try and listen to every single thing they're saying, but I'm actively trying to keep myself from trying to take over the conversation. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Which is really hard for me. (laughs) Yeah, boy, I get that. Okay, third scenario. Same thing. I'm sitting with somebody. We're sharing a cup of coffee, a muffin, and um, things turn spiritual. And he says something like, well, you know the Bible has a lot of mistakes. And he pulls one out and sure looks like a mistake. I've never seen it before. And uh, what do I do? Um, so uh, that's another big one. Uh, 
there are things that seem like inconsistencies in the Bible. I'm aware of that. Used to, that really shook me when somebody would throw that at me. Now I hear that and go, oh, it's probably a contextual thing. Like, that's the first thing I think of is there is a reason for why that's there. I may not know that right now. And so what I'll generally say is, hey, I don't have the answer to that. Um, and maybe, I, maybe I've even heard the answer to it before, but I can't think of it now. Generally, I'd say I, I, I really don't feel comfortable speaking to that because I don't know enough to do so. But I want to give you the right answer. So could we have this conversation another time? And then and, you and discuss that because, yeah. because you That's make a great. second That's opportunity great. to, to uh-huh. speak with that person. And you got a chance to do your homework and right. try to find out. And maybe they shut you down too. Maybe they say, no, that's okay. You know, but then you're going to go learn. You're going to go learn why, why you need to know that. And that's why we need to read our Bible though. Right? Like we, we need to have responses to those things. And so the more conversations you have with people, the more, holes they try to point out in Christian logic, the more times you're going to have to go back to your Bible and figure out why that's not a hole. You're going to have to go listen to what other people have made commentaries on that. You're going to learn. And eventually, after time and time again of that happening, you're going to have those answers in your back pocket for most of those things. You know what I mean? That's great. That's yeah. great. Now, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I've studied a lot. And there's still things that I'm aware of in the Bible and a lot that I'm probably not aware of that I can't explain. Uh, However, usually when uh, I've been shown something and somebody says, well, this is an obvious mistake here. This is, it says one thing here and it says something else over there. When I get into it and study it, I see it. And it's not a mistake. The problem, typically, it's not the scripture. It's me. Right. It's that I don't understand enough. Right. And by just digging a little bit deeper, it's not that I'm even just trying to find a harebrained explanation. It's that there are real, honest, legitimate reasons. One of the first things is the Bible was written 2,000 years ago in a pre-scientific culture and we live in a scientific culture, so you can't apply the same kind of standards uh, that we approach texts with today. Because it wasn't written. Scripture. It wasn't written with those standards in mind. Exactly. Right. Um, the other thing I find is a lot of inconsistencies that get brought up to me are found in the four gospels, and that's because. They're first-hand accounts. They're right. eyewitness accounts. If you walk into a room, uh, say say we all watched an accident happen at an intersection, and you walked up and you asked four different people what happened, they're all going to be almost the same, but it is not going to be perfect because it's a person's view of what just happened. Now – each of those people are different types of people too. And so they're each going to think about it differently as well. Um, and that's what you get with the four gospel accounts. And so, yeah, there's, there's moments where it'll say, yeah. And then two men approached and then there's moments where it'll say, and three men approached or something like that, you know? And right, it's like, right, right. it's not wrong. It's saying, Oh, a small group of men approached, yeah, you know, like, yeah, and that's, yeah. 
it's two guys saw it. They're trying to re- recollect it the best they can. But when you look at those four accounts at how waterproof they are, like how much of them are just 100% identical. I mean, I look at those little moments where it's like, oh, there's a minor inconsistency here. That's nothing. That actually helps me believe more. Right. Exactly. That's really what happened. Exactly. It's like it's four people's legitimate account of what happened. That's a beautiful thing. Um, You know, the other thing is I find a lot of inconsistencies biblically are numbers. Like yeah. somebody yeah. will say, report, oh, there were 10,000 men in that army. And another uh, another point will say, oh, there were 7,000 men in that army. It's like you think they really counted. <laughs> you think that <laughs> they glanced, they saw a lot of people, said, that looks like 10,000 men. <laughs> you know? Right, right, right. There's, there's no way. And so, uh, yeah, I, I find a lot of problems like that. But it, that, that doesn't shake me. Like that doesn't. That just makes me think, oh, okay, cool. Two guys saw this situation. Makes, Yeah, like you said, it's actually more believable because of yeah. that. Um, man, any other scenarios? No, those were the three that I had in mind that I wanted to, you know, just kind of pick your brain on and, and see what you'd do. Okay, one more. Okay. Somebody, you're talking with somebody. They're on the fence about Christianity. They they believe in something. They think Christianity might be right. They're looking for answers. Where do you point them? <laughs> another conversation. I typically would not point them to another person. I'd say, hey, you know, we're both tired. Been a good conversation. Let's come back and set a date. Let's come back next week. Let's come back three days from now. Let's meet again. Um, in a case like that, I would definitely always say, uh, would you mind if I would pray for you, and may I pray for you right now that you find the answers that you're looking for? And I've never had anybody say no. If they were to say no, I'd say, that's fine. I will be praying for you right? until we meet again. But if they do say, no, go ahead and pray for me, I always keep it short, you know, 20 to 30 seconds. I don't want them to think this is a formal uh, liturgical sort of a thing. I want them to get the idea. This is a three-way conversation, you, me, and God. Right. And uh, say, Lord, Here's John Doe, and uh, he's looking for answers. Help him to find those answers. Amen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just as simple as that. But it, what that does is it points them in the right direction. It, it, it points them to an unseen participant in the conversation. And it shows them that they can talk to God as well. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And it doesn't have to be a big flowery thing. Yeah. That's cool. It's it's kind of like how you teach your kid to pray for the meal, you know. <laughs> Thank you, God, for this food. Amen. Right, you know, like, right, right, but that's right. uh, that's it's planting that seed again. It's showing them this is this is all it is. If I mean, if they were to ask me for resources, I'd probably tell them what I know. Sure. Point them in a direction, but I would not volunteer that because no, uh, they need milk. They're not going to do it. 
<laughs> right, right. And then a lot of those things are going to be over their heads. That's right. And they're going to get more from a further conversation. Right. So it would definitely be, hey, let's get together again. Well, I mean, that's what Jesus did. I mean, he oh, didn't yeah. say, you know, come have this conversation with me one time. He said, come follow me. That's right. Let's, let's, let's keep that's this right. conversation going. Come yeah. join me. And uh, and so, I mean, the modern equivalent of that, we're not going to take on anybody as our um, disciples to follow us around and go you know, hang out with us while we go to work every day. We're going to ask him, hey, you want to hang out sometime? You know, like, you want to go get some coffee or, you know, that's, that's it. That's it. You just used a uh, churchy word. We might need to examine that churchy word someday. What did the I word say? Disciple. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. And, yeah, I, I, I think, and maybe we should end with this. I think, um, The word disciple is a great, fantastic word. It's not necessarily one that we would hear on the street. It's one that we hear in church. But here's the problem. In church, we think of a disciple as somebody who has made a commitment to follow the Lord. Whereas I'm pretty sure in Scripture a disciple is somebody who is in the process of learning how to follow the Lord. Okay. It, they haven't arrived, and now discipleship is sort of salvation 2.0. Um, you evangelize in order to make a disciple. Someone who's willing to learn more. It's a student. Right. right. Yeah. So when Jesus on the mountaintop says, go and make disciples, what he's really saying is not... Okay, Thomas, you get with uh, Peter and uh, Andrew, you get with John, and you all disciple each other. Instead, what they're saying is go out and find somebody that doesn't know me and get them to follow me. Right. We typically call that evangelism. Jesus called that discipleship. Okay. Very cool. So we need to make disciples. That's right. (laughs) Don't be afraid to go have a conversation with somebody. That's right. That's all it's about. Go have a conversation, and through that conversation, if you talk long enough, it is bound to point back to Jesus sooner or later. I mean, that's just what happens. It will. Uh, you'll you'll know you're in. You'll see the point when it's time. But uh, also, don't just uh, don't be afraid to bring it up because that He's with you, right? He's with that's you right. to the end of the age. That's right. That's right. And people actually are looking. That's right. Whether they know it or not. Whether they know it or not. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for listening to Salty Saints Podcast. Give us a comment. Give us a like. uh, Subscribe to us. Whatever the platform you're listening on allows you to do, go ahead and do that. Um, If you've got any questions, send them in to saints at becomehope.com. And until then, stay salty. No matter what you're going through, you are not alone. Sis, if you've experienced pain in your father-daughter relationship, I want you to know that you are loved and seen. I'm Kia Stevens, host of the Hope for Women with Father Wounds podcast, and I created my show to help you exchange your father wounds for the love of God the Father. Join me for encouragement, wisdom, and scripture. Just search Hope for Women with Father Wounds on lifeaudio.com or wherever you get your podcast.